This is The Unseen, and I'm your host, Mike Cleland. This week on The Unseen, I am happy to have as my guest, my close friend, Suzanne Chancellor. Now, just a heads up, Suzanne has been on Dreamland once. Uh, She spoke with Whitley going back a few years, and she also spoke with Jeremy on The Experience. And her and I have been friends for a number of years now, and she has been an angel and has helped me enormously by playing the role of editor on my last two books. Uh, During our discussion, the subject of these books comes up a lot, and especially the most recent book that was just recently published. Now, I say as much in the talk, I want to be careful, this is not a, a, a podcast about my book though it certainly comes up plenty. But it's more um, a really wonderful conversation between between two friends who are both struggling with this very, very strange set of life experiences. In this conversation, we try to make sense of what it means to, to deal with these events in our lives. The fear, the insecurities, the denial, the doubt... Uh, We don't come up with much of an answer, but um, it is very therapeutic to talk about it. And this is more of a conversation and less of an interview. And that was a delight for me. That was a delight for both of us. This audio conversation was recorded Monday, August 5th, 2019. Please enjoy. Suzanne, I want to thank you so much for saying yes to this interview. It means a lot to me. Thank you so much, Mike, for having me. This is great. I'm really looking forward to it. Good. And I've been looking forward to this too. And then uh, we've talked about this a little bit on and off over the last, uh, I don't know, few months, I guess, as far as doing a sort of shared interview where I ask you questions and you ask me questions. And, And part of the reason is just feel a little rusty in a way. And I feel like I'm new to, to the audience uh, Whitley Strieber's audience. And I don't know, for folks that may not know me so much and about my own experiences, I'm sure some do, but uh, I just thought this would be a nice way, a conversation, less an interview and more a conversation, that this would be a nice way to, I guess, introduce myself. Well, here, let me start out with a few questions for you. First of all, you had an interesting UFO sighting recently, and you were wearing a UFO hat <laughs> while you had this sighting. Yes, I did. It was really an interesting story. So it was May, I think it was May 18th of this year. And I was in my living room. There's a little backstory to this. I was in my living room and I'm a birder. So I was looking at these birds in the tree in my front yard and my window was open. And across the street from me was um, one of my neighbors and his grandson, and they were in their backyard having a conversation, which I could hear clearly because it was right across the street, and they were speaking quite loudly. And I heard two words that the grandson said. One word was podcast, and the next word was aliens. And my ears He didn't say the unseen at any point, the new podcast, did he? No, he just, I just caught those two words and and I thought it was interesting. So I, 
although I didn't want to eavesdrop, that really caught my attention. And I wondered what they were talking about. And immediately after the son had said aliens, the grandfather said, oh, I totally believe in UFOs. And oh, yeah, you know, you should watch um, an episode of Ancient Aliens. So so wait a minute. So you said you didn't want to eavesdrop, but you were eavesdropping. Well, I couldn't help it. I mean, I was intrigued. I mean, I live in a really quiet neighborhood. Nobody knows who I am. Nobody knows about my life. I, you know, I, this is a really difficult subject to talk about with strangers. And I would never just walk up to somebody and, and, you know, say, Oh, by the way, I'm an experiencer, you know? So almost felt like this was like an opportunity for me to possibly, if I ever saw them out in the neighborhood to bring it up. And so I thought to myself, okay, well, I'm going to do something a little bit different. I have a hat. It's a baseball cap that says UFO magazine on it. And I thought, you know what? When I walk my dog, I'm going to put that hat on. And maybe if I run into them, it might spark a conversation. So I got my dog after uh, a few hours had passed. I was actually babysitting that day. And I put my hat on and we went for a walk around the block. And halfway through my walk, I have a a certain route that I take every day. I was walking along and my dog stopped to sniff somebody's grass. No, no, hold on, let me interrupt. This wasn't in front of the house with the grandfather and the grandson. No, it wasn't actually. It was around the block, probably about, I would say about a three minute walk away. Okay, fair enough. And... As my dog is sniffing on this front yard, I just happened to look up in the sky and I saw a silver white orb and it was just moving along very slowly across the sky. And I'm thinking to myself, oh my gosh, what is that? And so I grabbed my phone and I started recording it as best I could And as there was so much uh, blue sky, it was really difficult for me to focus on, you know, nothing in the sky. So I kept tapping the screen. And finally, I was able to get it in focus. And I saw it go right behind a tree. And as I waited for it to come across from the other side of the tree, I positioned my phone up again, and I could see the orb clearly. It was stationary. It was absolutely not moving And I thought, oh my gosh, this is a UFO. This is definitely not a plane. It wasn't like a balloon. It was just sitting there in the sky. And I actually got two pretty darn good videos of it. And when I came home and looked at them, I saw other anomalies around it. It was very strange. I saw other uh, things that I actually didn't see with the naked eye. Uh, I saw them on the video going from right to left and left to right. And then I saw this like sparkly, I don't know, it was like stardust or something up in the upper right-hand corner. Now, no, here, so so these videos are available on your blog. Yes, they are. And um, did, who helped you load those up? Because I thought someone did a beautiful <laughs> job loading those up on your There's this really great guy named Mike Clellan. Oh, okay, okay, fair enough. Now, so... Um, yeah, so I've looked at those videos very, very closely. Now, this is this is where it gets tough, right? I mean, on one sense, 
what you're seeing in the sky is just a little dot, right? I mean, it doesn't look like it's moving like an airplane. It doesn't look like it's moving like a like a silvery balloon, let's say, that's just bobbing around in the wind. It, it has a very fluid motion. And then those those little, those secondary little dots that seem to be floating upward a little bit. I agree. Those are very unusual. They seem to be a, oh, like they're almost like shimmering sparkles held within heat wave. And there's probably only like three or four actual true dots, but they do sort of rise and cross the frame right as it's aligned with the um, dot in the sky, the bright dot in the sky. Right. And I also thought, well, what if they were bugs or something like that? And I actually was able to debunk that because in the first video, I did see a bug fly across. And so I knew that that's not what it was. Okay. Yeah. People send me videos all the time and they're like, look at this thing. And if you go out on a big, glorious full moon night and take your cell phone and take a picture of the full moon, you're going to get a little dot. Right. Right. So you can stand there in your yard and see all the details of the moon and everything like that. But when you take a photograph of it, it's just a dot. So with the advent of cell phones, uh, I seem to I what I depend on more is the tenor of the voice, the person talking <laughs> as they're recording it. Right. Because because it's you're what are you looking at? You're looking at a little dot in the sky. But yes, a very unusual. No, my favorite part of the story is the UFO hat. Right. You know, that's funny because as I'm looking at this orb, I'm standing on somebody's lawn and I didn't even care. I'm on their property. And the, the woman who lived there actually came out of her house and she looked at me and shook her head like and rolled her eyes and went back in her house. And I thought, was she rolling my, her eyes because I'm standing on her lawn or maybe it's because of my hat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's pretty conservative out here. I, I haven't really met a lot of people who embrace the subject since I moved to Rhode Island from California a few years ago. So um, I think that's one of the reasons why I've definitely not spoken to a lot of people about it. Yes. So that said, you did have a gathering at your house, but let's talk about that a little bit later, which I attended. It was a lovely, wonderful night with just a handful of folks. But we can talk about that a little more later in um, in the talk here. Okay. Um, so if you have any questions for me, you can ask me questions. I do have some questions for you. Um, well, ask away. <laughs> I will. Mike, it's just really been so great. Um, knowing you, getting to know you. Um, we, I know we discussed this earlier. We don't really remember exactly when it was when we first met. Um, somewhere in between 2010, 2011. And you were actively blogging at that time. And I was just starting my blog. So it probably was closer to 2011 when I started my blog. And I will have to say that if it wasn't for you, um, I don't know what I would have done. You've helped me so much with my blog and my podcast, and I am deeply indebted to you for that. So I'm very grateful. Thank you. Well, you have edited uh, two books of mine and done a lot of work to clean up some typos in the first book. So yes, yeah, so so right back at you there on that one. Um, now, do you remember how we met? You know, I'm... I remember. I think I do remember. I think you sent me an email. I, I think it was over the Facebook chat thing. Oh, was it? 
I think it was through the Facebook chat thing because I saw something you, you posted on Facebook and I can't really remember what it was. It might have had some UFO type thing connected to it, but I think you were actually talking about like music from high school or something. Really? And I asked you, I said, uh, so Suzanne and I were born the same year and we found this out exactly in the first correspondence. And I asked you, were you born in, I won't give your age away. I would give my age away too, but uh, <laughs> w- were you born in this year and are you an experiencer? I asked those two questions. Yes, he did. But you also sent me an email with um, a bunch of other experiencers photographs and we all looked very similar. Yes, that was a little later. That was definitely later. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. I'm going to jump around a little bit here. In the book, which has just come out, which is a collection of blog posts, my book, I make it pretty darn clear that I went kind of obsessively crazy for a while, trying to dig into this stuff, trying to make sense of this stuff. And I was seeing connections everywhere. I was seeing synchronicities everywhere. And some of those connections might be a little, you know, easy to dismiss, but there was a, there was a handful of folks that I met all at the same time within a few weeks, I think, and that you all looked exactly the same. Oh, not exactly the same. And I kind of made the joke you could start a girl band. That's exactly right. You did say that. But you also did make a comment to me, and I am going to give away my age. Oh, you're older than me, by the way. Barely. That you had met a lot of experiencers that were born in 1962. I, that way, so I wrote a blog post about this and it's in the, and this is one of these things where I'm like, am I crazy? Am I seeing this? Is this a, you know, cause obviously a lot of people were born in 1962, right? So, uh, but still I went through a phase where I was meeting so many people either online or meeting them in person that were born in 1962. And then, and then the similarities just went on and on and on. And there was a, there was a post in the new book. I can't remember what it's called right now. I'm drawing a blank on the, on the title of that post. Now, again, I'm going to jump around a little bit. The book that just came out, which I don't want this talk to be focused on the book. Uh, the book is a collection of blog posts. And my, my blog is now one decade old. And so the blog posts you know, begin in 2009, and it takes you all the way up to 2019. And in those 10 years, in that decade, there, there was my own story, my own genesis, my own journey. And a, a lot of changes happened in my life. And, and this was early on. This was very early on. I think this was 2009. And, and the, the post was titled A Shared Pattern. And this was right when I was frenetically meeting all these people who had this, not only the similar birthday, but one of the things on the little checklist, which I was concerned with is they not only had to be, they they couldn't just be an experiencer. They had to be out and coming forward with their experiences. Um, I still have that list. I haven't really bothered to update it. And I think I'm up to 65 people. Oh my God. Wow. That's amazing. Well, you know, that's really interesting. I think you're not really that far off base when you say, you know, you kind of get frenetic about this because I think when you get involved in this phenomenon and you're trying to make sense of it, there's really nothing, There's there are no guidelines to follow. So you're grabbing at straws and you're thinking, okay, maybe this and this and this. And then all of a sudden it is a synchronistic thing that seems to happen. And it, it happens with, you know, maybe 
meeting certain people and then having them come into your lives in a certain way. And then you notice that there's a lot of synchronicities that come into place where you actually have that meeting. And that's like what happened with Jack and myself, my, my boyfriend. And he heard me speaking um, and doing an interview with Whitley Strieber in 2012 for Dreamland. And that is how we connected. And that, and that is a beautiful story. And unfortunately, we have reached the end of the first segment and we will need to take a short break. For non-members, there will be a few commercials. But for members, we will be right back. We are back, and this is The Unseen, and I'm with my guest, Suzanne Chancellor, and we are talking about how she met her present partner. So this is, I've heard this story many times, but this is remarkable. So Suzanne, take the floor. Right. As I was saying, Whitley had interviewed me in 2012. It was April 20th when it aired, and Jack was listening to the interview. And immediately after the interview, he friend requested me on Facebook. And I did get a lot of friend requests after that interview. It was just overwhelming. I mean, the response was incredible. And a lot of emails, I had actually included my email address for people to connect with me because I was so just in the moment of trying to connect with as many experiencers as possible, just trying to make sense of the, you know, of the experience. So he contacted me and I accepted his request and we didn't really connect for a few more months. And I think it was in July of 2012. Um, Yes, it was. It was July 7th. It was actually July 6th, but it was late in the evening. And I was writing my book at the time. And, um, while I was writing, I got, I had been doing a lot of meditating and I got a very strong direct message from, I don't know who or what to close my computer, stop doing what I was doing to go into the bedroom, sit on the floor, face the armoire and to meditate for 15 minutes. And I just thought, well, this is crazy. It was so detailed, you know. So I did exactly as I was told, expecting to receive some sort of a a message or an epiphany or something. So as I sat there meditating, nothing was happening. And after the 15 minutes, I just, I was a little bit exasperated because I was, as you know, when you're writing, you get into a groove and if something interrupts you, you lose your train of thought. And, and I just totally lost my train of thought and went back into the living room, opened my computer, logged on to Facebook. And the minute that I logged into Facebook, Jack sent me a message in the messenger. And I went, oh, why do I know this guy? I don't know. For some reason, the little thumbnail picture in the message box, you know how little that is. Oh, yeah. He looked so familiar. And I'm thinking, do I know him? Because I don't want to just talk, you know, to like random people that I don't know. Just, I mean, I get a lot of those after the interview. But something just 
I don't know, seemed familiar. So I said, hello. And we started, you know, chatting in the chat box. And he said that um, he had listened to my interview in April with Willie. And I was intrigued, you know, and I, he says, he told me that he was an experiencer. And then I was like, Oh, great. This is great. So then we just started chatting more. And he told me he was from Rhode Island. And I'm, you know, living in California, I told him I had never been there. And at the time that we were chatting, it was already after midnight. So it was already July 7th in Rhode Island, but in California, it was still July 6th. And we just started talking about things. And I said, you know, you look really familiar. And I just started looking at his photographs, thinking that maybe I would recognize him in another photo, or maybe we had mutual friends or something. And as I was clicking through his pictures, I came across a photograph of this beautiful Asian woman holding a small little boy. And when I looked at that picture, it was like the wind was knocked out of me. She was looking right at me and I couldn't stop staring at her. And I was like, oh my gosh. And I asked him, I said, who is this beautiful woman? And he says, it's my wife. And I had this feeling directly. And I said, oh my gosh, she's no longer with us, is she? And he said, no, that she had passed away um, in 1997 from cancer. And I said, I have a message for you from her. And I said, she wants you to know that she misses you and that she loves you and that she was very proud of him. And he said, oh my gosh, you have no idea how much that means to me because today would have been her 50th birthday. And I thought, oh my gosh, that is so crazy. I've never read a photograph before. It was a brand new experience, but I mean, I do have a lot of psychic stuff happening to me within being an experiencer. So I wasn't, go ahead. So when you, when you were meditating in front of the armoire, Mm. you didn't get the message then. No, no, I didn't. I, in retrospect, I almost feel as if I was supposed to stop doing what I was doing and take myself away from it and then to come back to meet him. It was all about the timing. And you were told 15 minutes. Yes. That's the only way I can make sense of it. Now, this was on, this was on April 20th? No, this was actually a couple months later. The interview was on... Oh, the interview with Whitley was on April 20th. Okay, got it. Right. This was on July 7th of 2012. Okay. Um, because I, when you said that, April 20th, there's a story in my second book, which involves both you and Jack. Um, that involves the number 420, the April 20th was also a time on a clock, which was also when an owl was hooting. And that was the day that Jack's father died. That is correct. So that number shows up again. Yes. So uh, once again, I don't want to make this about my books, but I just, I'm going to jump back to those points here because you were very instrumental in how those books got shaped as far as. Right the endless back and forth shared documents we had for, for a year, two years, two years, we did it. Yeah, <laughs> um, everything is so synchronistic. So I think it's quite relevant that you bring that up. And when you talk about synchronicity and, you know, the UFO abductee. So I think there's just so much going on 
with well well let me just so i i've i've never done it but i was like i got in front of a like a big whiteboard right and i got my magic marker there on the whiteboard and i write out you me well i guess it would be you and jack and then andrea and myself and andrea's my partner we met under equally weird synchronistic circumstances that were pretty profound and if i went through and just correlated all the things that you and i share and then all the things that Jack and Andrea shares, it's really kind of weird. I mean, just like my mother was born in Denmark. Your mother was born in Denmark. That's just right. like start of it. Yeah. yeah. Now here, I'll just one more little aside. Uh, I was in 2011, before I met you, I was working on a graphic novel. And I had an idea for it. And I, I wrote a script for it. Um and I did some illustrations of it. And it's basically a story of a guy who kind of wanders into the desert to have his kind of, uh, you know, his walkabout, you know, his time in the wilderness. And it's got UFO elements and it's got owls and it. it's got some kind of conspiracy stuff in it. And it's, you know, it would make a nice X-Files episode. Let me put it that way. And, but I, you know, like it was sort of my story and the, the character sort of based on me, but I wanted to draw the guy a certain way. And I wanted to, I'm bald and it's like, crap, I'm, I'm going to, this guy, I'm going to put myself in, I'm going to have someone with hair <laughs> on the top of his head. So, so I had this idea of how the hair would be, and it was just kind of chopped and just kind of, and then, and then I also was like, I like, I kind of did these drawings. And I'm like, oh, I want this guy to have a really strong nose, like a really good profile. And I did these illustrations and then the graphic novel kind of fell apart, but I did an illustration and a bunch of renderings of this character. And when I saw that picture of Jack, which was a year after like I abandoned this project, I was drawing Jack. You were? No doubt. <laughs> it was crazy. And he had a goatee as well, I remember. A little scrubby goatee, yeah. Yeah, right. So, I mean, I was completely blown away. I'm thinking, when did you draw a picture of Jack? That was so strange. So, yeah. So this is the kind of stuff that, how to put it, this is the kind of stuff I keep on falling back on this line. This is exactly the stuff that does not show up on late night cable TV documentaries about UFO contact, right? You get, you know, scary visitations in bedrooms and people getting dragged out of their cars on lonely roads. You do not get this weird synchronistic stuff. And they should have a show about this kind of stuff because it's more interesting and it's, it's not embellished. You know what I'm saying? Well, we have a podcast about it right now. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, um, Getting back to the story, Jack and I started talking about synchronicity. And he was telling me that he really was a strong believer in synchronicities and, and the fact that it was his ex-wife's birthday that day. And when he said that she was 50, I said, oh my gosh, well, I'm 50 as well. In fact, today is my best friend's 50th birthday also. And he said, oh, my gosh, I'm also 50. So we were all born in 1962. Okay. And I just thought, well, this is just crazy. And I said, well, that's really strange, but not. And I said, well, when's your birthday? And he said, March 26, 1962, which is my exact birthday. And and it just goes on and on and on. And it just goes on and on and on from there. And then it just, it was like the rabbit hole, you know, opening Pandora's box, everything just right down to, we started doing that, you know, like 
obviously when you're the same age, you have the same life experience, you know, as far as like the timeline. Watching the Brady Bunch, you know, exactly. Exactly. We have the same exact car. Our first car was the same car. What was it? Um, An AMC Hornet. Oh, okay. (laughs) But yeah, so just right down to just the, the smallest little details here and there. And, you know, figuring out that we were born nine hours apart. And when I was very young, um, when I lived in Pasadena, I had this distinct memory of having a brother. And I remember asking my mother what happened to my brother. And she said, well, what are you talking about? And I said, mommy, I just know that I have a brother. Where is he? And she says, honey, you don't have a brother. And I thought that she must have given him up for adoption or something. But I clearly have this vision of me and this little boy holding hands. And we've talked about this in depth because we both believe that we've chosen this path here on this earth before we came here. And we believe strongly that we have made a pact to meet again here and that we are now connected because of that pact. Let's talk about that in the third section, the final half hour of our talk, because I think you know what I'm getting at here. Yes. Oh, because this just goes on. So here, I'm going to tell a very quick little story. My father, who passed in 2012, at the time I would have been 48 years old. I was 48 years old, and I took him to the doctors, and his health was failing, and his memory was failing, and but he was always very socially charming, so it was fun to see him in a crowd and stuff. So, so I took him to the doctor, and he. Uh, you know, they've given the form and I sat next to him and watched him fill it out. And he had the same strong, all capital letter handwriting he's always had. And I was sitting right next to him. And now my father and myself share the same birthday, August 22nd. And I watched him write out 8, 22, 26. And, and I had never noticed it before. My birthday is 8, 22, 62, 1962. So they're all the same numbers. Right. You know, all the same number, 62, 26, backwards. So, and I was 48 years old when I realized this. Like, this is exactly the kind of number stuff that has, like, I've always been charmed by this stuff ever since I was, like, five years old. Now, I was 48 when I realized this, and my dad was 84. Wow. So that's a little simple thing, but this stuff is out there. And I don't think we should... um you have to be very cautious, right? You know, like the way I phrase this is I don't want to start a new religion over these small synchronicities, but they are important threads. And I feel there's a need to pull on them and to recognize that there's a, there's a synchronistic power at play. And that to me, I might be wrong and I might be leading myself down a blind alley, but I don't think I am. Well, I know that you pay very close attention to number sequences as well. You write about it quite often in your blog and you have, and I don't know why these things keep happening. And I'm wondering what your thought is on the fact that these things keep showing up at certain times. Yours is, you know, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, five. And what is yours? 333, 11, 11, 444. But I've when we've been working on the book, many times it has come up that certain 
number sequences come up in the time that I actually would finish editing a document. And I have to laugh because at the end of the day, what does it really mean? What are we imposing, you know, this importance on it? Or is it really a message? What do you think about that? Isn't that the question? I don't have a good answer. I'm treating it as the message. Just, you know, I kind of have said, like, for my own purposes, like, I'm going to, I'm going to follow this. I'm going to treat this as real. There's a author named Alan Green. And I respect him enormously. And he he's published two books with their collections, uh, three actually called the Sync Books, and it's all about synchronicity. And he he says synchronicity is your compass, right? So if you're out in an open boat on a cloudy day in the ocean, you cannot find your way without a compass. So he says that synchronicity is his compass, and I have taken that to heart. I have followed. Like I have trusted these synchronicities and I have changed and altered my life because of these synchronicities. I wouldn't be doing this podcast right now if I hadn't trusted and changed my life. Like you get to a fork in the path and you let the synchronicity tell you which way to go. That's true. Very true. Yeah. But I think, you know, also I think it's something that you need to pay attention. That's how I describe it for myself is when I get these synchronicities or the number synchronicities, or for the past couple of years, hearing an owl. Yeah, 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 the owl thing. You know, <laughs> so. But so, but I, I'm serious. I mean, you, if you had never brought these things up in these books, okay, and if you hadn't obviously reached out to all the people that you have and received thousands of responses about owls, and the UFO experience. I don't think anybody ever would have given it a second thought. But that's not true. If you look at Whitley Strieber's book, uh, his early books, uh, he and including one of his most recent books with Jeff Kripal, which is called The Supernatural, he talks all about this. He of Whitley does it beautifully. He sums up, it's taken me like a thousand pages and three books to sort of formulate my ideas about owls. And it took Whitley all of about four paragraphs and he said it much more poetically than I did, but he's essentially saying the same thing. Right. And, and you are correct about that. I had forgotten about that, but I also think that you're the only other person I've ever um, encountered who's actually taken it to the level that you have. Who's, who's basically like gone <laughs> crazy, like lost his mind and gone obsessively haywire to pull on these threads. Yes. So yeah, it's a little bit of my own madness is what we're talking about. Well, I, I really am curious about that. I mean, of all the things that you could have focused on in your research, why owls? The, I say I have an answer for that. The owls picked me. Is That's my answer. I don't need to tell this story again, but I went camping in 2006 and saw a bunch of owls. And it happened at a very prescient moment during a conversation about God. And three owls showed up while camping. It was amazing, beautiful, mystical moment. And they flew around us. I was with another friend and, and she treated it just as mystically as I did. I don't know if mystically is a word, but she treated it with the same mystic power, mystical power as I did. And um, we went camping four days later. The same thing happened. Both times, I'm looking at real owls. I heard a voice in my head. It's funny because I went back and, and looked at my original notes. And I used to say the voice said, this has something to do with the UFOs. 
But when I went and rechecked my notes, this is what I wrote down shortly after the event. I looked at a real owl and a voice in my head said, this has something to do with UFOs. You are an abductee. Wow. And that's funny that I would forget that. And I would just manage to deny and forget that. And that's, that has been my challenge in a way is to like struggle with that. Like, oh, that's too corny. That's too intense. That's too over the top. I got to back off. But the stories that I'm getting are, or my own personal experiences, not all of them, obviously, but a lot of them are like way over the top. And I have to, I have to, um, I have to recognize that and I have to trust that. And that was one of the powerful things about doing the blog is that I was talking about my own experiences in real time. You know, it wasn't like I was saying, um, you know, 10 years ago, I had this experience. I was saying this happened last night. Right. And then I would write about it. And I am polite, you know, I'm from Michigan. So I, I under tell stories. Like if I caught a really big fish, I would tell the story later. And it's like, well, it was kind of a medium sized fish. That's, that's a Midwestern thing that, that everyone, <laughs> everyone between, you know, Ohio and Minnesota is burdened with. Uh, like I realize I undertell things. And then I look at my original notes and my original blog posts and I'm, I'm saying stuff that I basically forgot. And that was what was remarkable about going through this last book and, and really, really formally going through and, and cleaning up these old posts. And just, it was remarkable. Some of the stuff that I had managed to ignore, deny, or I don't know, just to forget. I think that's really uh, powerful for you. And maybe it is all just meant for you, you know, that, that you, it took something of this magnitude to come to the realization that you are an abductee. And I said, just, you know, you, your question was, why did I follow this path of owls? Why did I get all, you know, wiggy about owls? And, and my answer is the owls chose me, but on another level, like it was just kind of fun, I have to say, right? So owls are kind of mystical and cool and they're like eerie and they're, they've got a kind of a spooky campfire vibe to them and, and they're part of the natural world. And, and all of these things are sort of seductive to me. And so I felt like, oh my gosh, I got this thing. This thing was placed in my lap, this stuff about owls. And I initially was just looking into the, into the totem animal stuff and into the spiritual aspects of it and the shamanic aspects of it, because the owls show up in all kinds of folklore and mythology and such. But what I found was that it was a bottomless pit. Within the UFO lore, within the UFO literature, at the, at the edge, like a little fractal, people mention owls. It shows up. It shows up in other books. It shows up in other people's research. It shows up in other people's stories. But in the grand scheme of things, someone will write a great big book and there'll be a paragraph about owls. So there'll be two sentences about owls. And let's not forget, they also show up as screen memories. Absolutely. And you have what I feel is quite probably a screen memory of your own. I do. I do. Hey, let's take one more break. And then we'll be back for the final half hour and we can talk about that screen memory and we can go a whole lot deeper with all this stuff. For free Dreamlanders, we're saying goodbye. For paying members, we'll be right back. And we are back with The Unseen. My guest is Suzanne Chancellor 
And just before the break, you were talking about a screen memory that you had as a child. Or yeah. what we can, well, let's say we don't know what it, I'm going to be very cautious. I'll, I'll be very prudent and say, we don't know exactly what happened, but boy, I'll tell you, it sure sounds like a screen memory. Yeah, it was really interesting. I was in preschool. I was four and I remember um, it was nap time and I hated taking naps because I was just always a very active child. I was very restless, but I knew that right after nap time, it was recess. And so after nap time, we went to recess and I was on the yard and I was pretty much a loner. And so I was just walking along the fence by myself and I noticed that there was a hole in the chain link fence. And I was a very curious child as well. So I thought, oh, what's on the other side of the fence? So I went through the hole in the fence and there was a big field. And across the field, there was like a, like a shack, like a very small, like a tool shed or something. And I walked up to it. And when I went inside, it was all overgrown with weeds. And I looked around and I saw a bridle hanging from one of the walls, and I saw what I know now was a, uh, a saddle stand. And I'm just standing, looking around, and I looked up, and in the rafters was an owl. And I had never seen an owl before. And I remember saying, is that an owl? And it looked down at me, and as it looked down at me, there was this very high-pitched ringing sound so loud. It was like uh, the cicadas, like in the summertime. And so I went to plug my ears. But when I did, I realized that the buzzing sound was coming from inside of my head. And it was so loud that I couldn't get to stop. So I just crouched down on a little ball on the ground and plugged my ears and closed my eyes until it went away. And when it finally went away, I opened my eyes and it was dark outside. And I panicked because I thought, oh, my gosh, did I pass out? Did I fall asleep? I didn't know what was going on. And all of a sudden, I heard people calling my name. And I could hear my mother's voice calling my name. And so I ran outside, and they had flashlights. And my mom says, oh, my gosh, what are you doing? Why are you hiding? And I said, Mommy, I don't know what happened. I just there was a sound and I just closed my eyes and then it was dark. And she's like, you're in trouble. You just wait until your father gets home. You're going to be in so much trouble. And I knew at that point that, I don't know, I just had this feeling like I couldn't tell her what really happened because she would never believe me. And it was such an odd experience. I could never explain why it happened. And I still, to this day, like you said, was it a screen memory? Did I have missing time? Did I pass out? Did I fall asleep? I just don't have any answers. And and I don't have any answers either, but I can certainly say I have been at the receiving end of, I'm cautious to say how many stories I've received, but a thousand is very fair, probably more than that. <laughs> you know, it's hard to keep track. So what I will say is that you're not saying anything that I haven't heard hundreds of times at this point now. Obviously, no story is exactly the same, but boy, they certainly have the same flavor. And I have heard something very similar to that many, many, many times, along with the owl as part of the story. Right. And I, so. I think that that experience with my mom, you know, I had another experience, um, my first recollection. 
from what I believe was a visitation or an abduction. I have to say when I was being carried back to my bed, when I started having all these other experiences as a child, I felt that I had no one I could share this with. I knew that my mom would never believe me because both those instances, when I told her what had happened, she just didn't want to hear it. So I'm sure that's very true with many experiencers. You know, when they say that, you know, these little men were coming to visit them or these little children, quote unquote, were coming into the room at night, that it was always dismissed as a dream or it was just their imagination. And we hold these things our entire lives. And I did until um, communion came out in 1987. Correct. And I had not spoken to anyone about any of this. And when I read that book, I wrote Whitley an 11 page letter and sent it to his publisher and it was returned for whatever reason. I felt like he had written a book about my life. And I thought, Oh my gosh, I'm not alone. And then I started thinking, how many other people are there out there that have had this experience? I have to say, Whitley, if you are listening, I spoke with him last night. Um, I sent him a video about of a, um, an incredible UFO sighting. And I thanked him. And I said, you have no idea how much your work has meant to so many people. And I said, you saved us all. I really believe that to this day, that if it weren't for him, I still might be in this, you know, world of denial. So I'm very grateful. Well, as am I. And I, I remember when the book came out and because it was every page of that book, it said a true story on every page. And I remember looking at the book and my very first thought was, right? So the, the big eyed being on the cover, my thought was, well, that's not quite right. I'm an illustrator. Like it was, I was telling him like, no, no, no. Like the forehead's just a little bigger and the nose was a little bit off. And I, why would I say that? I had no recollection at all of anything at that point in my life. Um, I did end up reading the book in, in uh, 1991, I think summer in 91. And I remember I just got it at the library at the Jackson hole library in Jackson hole, Wyoming. And I sat in the shade on the side of the trailer I was living in and read the thing. Boom, boom, probably in two days. Uh, and then I sent him my own letter. Mine was probably, mine was handwritten. It was probably only two pages long. Um, and I, we ain't the only ones. My understanding, the, uh, the post office had to bring the letters in giant duffels to his home. Wow. You said something in there um, about you. Help, he helped a lot of people and many people are having these experiences. It was December of last year in 2018. I went to your house. Andrea and I went to your house. You had a gathering there. How did that, how, how did that go for you? I, I can, I'll chime in at the end, but I, how did it go for you? It was really great. I, I feel pretty isolated um, where I live now as far as um, having people around me that I could, you know, share these experiences with one-on-one and face-to-face in well, real let me time. Just, let me just interrupt. Like, where would you live where you would feel less isolated? I mean, maybe Sedona, Arizona or some, or like Glastonbury, England or something like that. But, I'm, you know, like it would be like, 
I, it doesn't matter where you are. There's not many people want to talk about this stuff. Right. Well, you know, I have to say that when I was living in California, it seemed like people were more approachable about the subject. And we're a little bit more open-minded. Like I could willingly share these experiences and people would be more fascinated than disgusted with what I had to say. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. I get, I, I sense that too. Yeah. Cause I lived out West and my sense is that, uh, and I was in a very small town and I was in a very groovy kind of, um, do you know the term crunchy? That won't make sense to anyone. No. Do you know the term crunchy? You don't. I lived in a crunchy town. No. That's a term you would use out west in certain. Crunchy granola is crunchy. Right? Oh, so, I get it. I get so it. You get to the town, you're like, ooh, crunchy. So, <laughs> so, and people were a little, not everyone. Let me tell you, not everyone, but maybe a little more than here where I am. And I'm also on the east coast now. Right. So I just felt like um, not only did I not know that many people when I moved here, I knew no one but Jack. I didn't really have like the, I don't know, the avenues to, I don't know, talk to somebody about this and maybe, you know, online or what have you and, and talking to you obviously and talking to Jack obviously. But um, so I really felt it was important to try and get together a bunch of people who would be willing to come here and have a gathering to share experiences. I think it's really important because I felt that, I wasn't the only one that was feeling that way, you know, people who lived out here. And I'd spoken to a couple of people who were experiencers online who lived in, you know, uh, Massachusetts and, and one in New Hampshire. Yeah. And, and I, and I'm going to say that, yes, I don't forgive me for interrupting, but that is silly as it sounds. I mean, Facebook is, oh my God, it's easy to complain about Facebook. I would not have met the people without Facebook, the people on that list of the folks that there were there that night. How many people were there the night in December? Was it? Oh, it was probably like eight or nine of us possibly. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to guess. And all but, experiencers. Right. Exactly. And, and a lot of them who were there were not open yet and they haven't spoken publicly about their experiences. And this was really great for them. Like they really felt the need to have this sort of communion with other people who are like-minded and to have that validation that they're not crazy, you know, and to have just the sense of camaraderie. Oh yes. Oh yes. Yes. So you know what I mean? One of the things about that night, a handful of the people in the room, in your living room, were featured in my first two books. That includes you, Jack, uh, myself, Andrea, and then and then a handful of other folks in that room too. Where I'm not going to use any names. I mean, it was really it was really important to me. And, and you know, we, we stayed up to like three in the morning, and we we're drinking wine, and it was a wonderful scene. And and I remember, like, I would just thank people. I, I think I did it like three times. I think it was getting kind of awkward when I would just say, like, Oh my god, I have to say this is so valuable. This is so important. I have to thank everyone in this room for coming. And I really truly at a heart level meant that. Well, I think we all felt the same way. And, and there were a couple people there who had been very shy about um, talking about, even to me online. And I was really, really pleasantly surprised that they made an effort to take that first step to um, sharing with people that they had never met before. And hopefully it'll help them maybe be able to 
have the bravery to, I don't know, just get themselves out there to try and help other people like we're doing to try and come to grips with what they've experienced. Because I know that there's a lot of people out there that just have not reached out to anyone and live in fear. And I don't want to say denial because I think that's just part of it. Oh, oh, I I would, I mean, from my direct experience, it was denial. It was denial. I was denying it, denying it, denying it. And that was, um, so I'm going to jump back to the blog. So the blog, 10 years of blogging, the first bunch of years were me saying, well, I had this experience and I had this experience. I don't know what to make of this experience. And, and those are all kind of, many of those posts are archived in the book, but I made a lot of people very frustrated because they were like, when are you going to admit it? People would make comments. And that was the gist of those comments. And I had an event in which I call my confirmation event. I'm not going to talk about it here. It just would eat up an hour. And that happened on March 10th, 2013. And after that event, I could no longer deny my experiences. And I knew, like maybe even years before, that what what the reality was. But I was like stuck in that tape loop of denial. And that it was hard work to get out of that. Yeah, I know what you mean. And why, I mean, why do we decide to be in denial? I mean... Self-preservation. We're in a world where we can't talk about this. But at the same time, if it weren't for the experience, we wouldn't be who we are today. So for that, I'm actually grateful, even though I was in denial for so long. I can't imagine myself not being an experiencer. And that's a tough thing to say. Like, am I grateful for this? I mean, it's been a remarkably powerful journey. There's been drama to it. So I recognize that there's been a crazy sort of drama related to this. But at the same time, I lived... If you look at the timeline of my life, I suffered from severe clinical depression. I suffer from bouts of absolute overwhelming anxiety. I hold myself up and and keep to myself more than I should. So, you know, there's a lot of baggage that comes with this powerful, profound thing that that you and I both share. True. And, you know, I wanted to bring something up about the fact that you were in denial. Um. One of the chapters in the book, uh, in your latest book, you talk about camping out in the desert, but you wanted to sleep out under the stars. And for somebody who was in denial and having that fear of maybe these things were real, I'm thinking, okay, well, that was pretty brave of you to put yourself out there and I asked you directly, do you think you did that because you wanted to be abducted? And you said yes. And I said yes. And and I think it was, well, there was a handful of times I went out. And, and I specifically said, I am tired of not knowing. I need an answer. And what I was basically saying is, you land that goddamn flying saucer <laughs> right in front of me. And you get out and you tell me why this 
I'm going to, I don't want to swear anymore, but I can <laughs> fill this with a lot of expletives. Right. And you come out and tell me why this stuff has right. been happening in my life. Well, that's pretty darn bright. Yeah. Well, but at the same time, I was a camper and I was sleeping outside. I love it. I And so, yes, this goes back to this mystical thing, right? This, the owls, right? I love, love, love sleeping out under the stars. Uh, and it's, it's a little tougher in the East Coast because a lot of mosquitoes, yeah. but... Uh, I do it as much as I can. So it's good. It's seasonal. I can, I got to sneak it in in the spring and fall when I can do it. It's so tough to, cause I'm talking sleep out under the stars. I'm not talking about being in a tent. I'm not talking about anything like that. I am talking about cowboy camping, just laying out under the open sky. You know, there's one thing that I wanted to ask you. I don't know how much time we have left, but. Um, well, you got as much time as we want. Mom, so okay, you- great. I know that you have had hypnosis several times. A regression to well, you know, because you've like read every single word of those transcriptions and listened to some of them, yeah. So keep going, yes, that is true. Um, I have never had a regression, and I have always been so afraid of remembering something that I wasn't supposed to remember, it scares the hell out of me, yeah, yeah, as it should, I think. I don't know how you feel about it now. The first, before you had your first regression, how did you feel going into it and then coming out of it? Because obviously um, it's like opening Pandora's box. Well, yes. I'm so skeptical of everything, let's say. So I've had regression a handful of times. I did a wonderful, powerful hypnotic regression that was only about past life issues. Didn't We touched briefly on the UFO thing. And it was all in this kind of like uh, mystical poetry almost. But the story emerged in a past life event and it was very dramatic. And the goal of this past life regression was to alleviate the symptoms of clinical depression. And it worked. I'm going to knock on the table um, for the past... Uh, six years, I have been depression free. And I would not have been able to say that since I was 12 years old. So, and I put it right to a hypnosis session. Didn't have anything to do with UFOs. It's not about that. But, uh, and that's actually Whitley and I talked about that with the hypnotherapist. Her name is Lorraine Flaherty. There's two episodes. Uh, this would have been the summer of 2016, I think, in September, maybe. Um, and those would be in the archives. Those are really remarkable stories. Uh, so, so I've had hypnosis, Bud Hopkins tried to hip- hypnotize me. Not much happened. A few other folks have tried to hypnotize me. I was too scared. Uh, I had a hypnosis session in uh, with Mary Rodwell. And that was in 2017 in New Hampshire. A story emerged and I laid there and sobbed when the story emerged. It was so intense. It was so emotional. I didn't know what to do with it. I did not know what to do with it. I treated it as like, well, it's a metaphor. It's a, it's a, like, I I had no way to place that story. A little less than a year later, I had a hypnosis session with Yvonne Smith in August of 2018, about a year ago this month. And the exact same story emerged. Now, this time with Yvonne, that's the only thing we focused on in the session was that story. The time before with Mary, the year previous, we were struggling with a few different things. 
I talk about this in the in a recent podcast with Will Boucher. And so that might be better if folks are, I, I want to go through the whole thing because it's long, but I had an event where I was, this is the confirmation event, sleeping out under the stars in Southern Utah. I'm looking at a uh, uh, round building on a hilltop and I, and it looks just like a flying saucer and a bunch of other stuff happens that night. And under hypnosis, we go back to that event. And I, let me just add, I have since been back to that site and there is no big round house on that hill. And I had this out of body experience and I was floating above this craft. I'm looking down at it and all of a sudden whoosh, I'm in the craft and then I'm in a hallway. And my very first thought was, I'm, I'm not tall. I'm six foot tall. And I'm like, I'm not, I'm not tall anymore. And I looked down at my hands and I've got these long skinny fingers and I looked down at my body and I've got this tight fitting uniform on. And I look to the person to the left of me and to the right of me. And they're both little gray aliens. And I'm like, I'm a gray alien. I'm a gray alien. And it felt totally normal, totally normal. And, and my sense was, which I talk about in the moment in the, in the hypnosis session, it's like, well, it feels like I just got put in a rubber suit that was waiting for me on a hanger. And just like my soul essence, my out of body essence, just went whoop into this rubber suit. And here I was walking down the hall. The next thing I remember is I'm in this conference room. Now the conference room looks tacky. It's got ugly carpeting and fluorescent light. And it's like this trial or this court hearing or this business meeting. And I'm like, what, why am I here? And the people, there was people on this other side of this desk and they're all kind of grayed out. Like I couldn't really see. They're kind of fuzzy. I don't have any image of them really. I'm assuming they were bald and with big black eyes, but that's just an impression. I didn't have a real visual. And I'm like, why am I here? And they're like, now is the time. And I was like, what does that mean? Now is the time. Why, what am I doing here? You volunteered for this. What I volunteered for what? What are you talking about? Now is the time. What, that does, what do you mean now is the time? You volunteered for this. Got stuck in this little tape loop like this. All of a sudden I start sobbing. And I was like, you never told me it would be this hard. You never told me about the loneliness. Mm. And it went on and on and on. And I swore, I was like swearing at the end. I was like, how, like, I am so, I was just so angry and so like, and I would like, you didn't tell me there would be loneliness. You didn't tell me there would be f depression and sadness and fear. And they were just, now is the time. And you volunteered for this. Hmm. And it went on and on and eventually was back in the sleeping bag. Wow. Um, so I do not know how to place that story that emerged from hypnosis. I cannot say if that is true. I certainly, that's what I've, that's the vision I had under hypnosis. That's certainly, I'm telling it accurately to what I saw, but is it true? I have, I am so cautious right. to trust that memory. The way I've phrased it is, is like if you're in a, in a, mythic story if someone's walking down the path and they meet a wise man or meet a you know meet someone along that path and they tell them a powerful parable you could take that story and you know use it as a tool to live your life let's say so i've i i'm comfortable with treating it that way but i am not comfortable with trusting it 100 percent. i trust it a little and i pay attention to it but i i can't go there fully so do you feel satisfied with your experiences with 
regression? You know, uh, well, you and I talked about this a little bit and I, in the book, when we were doing the editing and stuff like that, that chapter just didn't have an end to it. And I kind of said like, God, oh, it's not working. It just, I need, I need, what it came up was like, I left the hypnotherapist's office. I called you. You were one of the first people I called. I called you from the little, there's a little park right next to Yvonne's office. Well. Yeah. Yeah. And I said, oh, I just had this thing. And then I was like, I need a cup of coffee. And I got in my car and I drove and found a coffee shop. And I like was, I remember thinking like, do I want oatmeal or chocolate chip cookie? Hmm. What do I want? And I was like, oh, wait, I just had this like transformative, like <laughs> crazy experience. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I think I'll have a, I think I'll have an oatmeal raisin cookie. <laughs> and, and, uh, turn the clock back to 2009, a decade ago. If I had this, I would have cracked. I would have broken. I would, I would not have recovered <laughs> mentally from the, that vision. And enough, enough water's gone under the bridge and, and, and I'm, uh, it was like, oh, well, I guess I'll have a, you know, oatmeal raisin cookie. So I don't know what to make of it. You asked a hard question. Well, one of the reasons why I ask is um, Jack had regression as well with Yvonne Smith on Whitley's birthday on June 13th. You know everyone's birthday. Do you know that? You know? <laughs> I do. June 13th on um, the year of 2014. So I know the park that you were referring to outside of her office. But when he came out of his aggression, he was just filled with so many more questions coming out of it. He almost felt like, oh, my gosh, now what? You know, I mean, do you ever is there ever an end to, you know, the actual regression experience? It could just go on and on and on. And, and so he just felt like like. I don't want to say unsatisfied because he, he was unsatiated. Let's put it that way. He was very stressed out after it and it was obviously very draining, but almost like coming at it with more questions and answers. Yep. More questions than answers. Like I'm like, I, I remember the first time I read about exactly that scenario, people choosing to come to this reality from some other reality and play some role that that showed up the first time I remember it showing up was in uh, Dr. Mack's book, Abduction. That was 21 years ago, right? Or even more than that. It might even be more than that. I think I can't remember. But so over two decades ago that I remember reading it then it's been percolating in my brain. I've heard it many times since then. Did I confabulate this mm -hmm. because I had been front loaded with all the, the literature that I've immersed myself with? Right. I, I honestly don't know. What I can say is that I started the owl book. I am not exaggerating. The next day. Wow. After that wow. event. The big blue owl book. You know, I was driving home from uh, Arizona and I passed through Utah and I got to my house in Idaho and I started, I started a long format article that later became the book. That's amazing. I actually don't think I knew that. Yeah. So do you think that there was a correlation between the regression and starting the book? Well, it wasn't the regression. I didn't start it after the regression. I started it after the event. There was, I had no memory. I had no, all I saw was a round house on a hill. Oh, I'm sorry. I, you can scratch. No, no, I, it's tough. It's, <laughs> this stuff is tough to, to like every person, every person they have these experiences. It's like the 
string of weirdness just goes on and on and on and on. Yeah. So yeah, so that so I started the book the day I arrived home after sleeping out under the stars. And I had a pleasant night's sleep. I saw a house on a hill. <laughs> I saw a light behind a bush. There's some biblical imagery for you. <laughs> and I heard a coyote howling near my head, which is a trickster image, which is a Native American image, which is a totem animal, which is exactly the stuff I love. Right. And, and I started the book the next day. Well, I'm glad you did. I'm glad too. And I've said this before, that book, those three books, right? And you stack the three books up now and, and there's about a thousand pages. If it ain't a thousand pages, it's dang close. So there's a thousand pages about me and owls and UFOs. And that's a lot. <laughs> and those books have been immensely rewarding. I feel so proud that I, that I pressed forward with those books. Well, I'm proud of you as well. I know how hard it was. You know exactly how hard it was because we talked every goddamn night for four years. I commend your tenacity. Huh? And you, I commend your ability to put up with my tenacity because I know I can be kind of a nudge. No. You, you're, you live in the East Coast now. Do you know what a nudge is? Oh, yes, totally. Okay. Yeah. So that's me, basically. I think in the Yiddish dictionary, they have a picture of me under, under the word nudge. Let me ask you something. Yes. Earlier on, you said you were writing a book. Oh, yes, I am. Yeah, were you writing a book? That was when you first met Jack in 2005. Yes, well, I took a little time off to work on other projects, apparently. Or my project, yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> four years out of your life to yes, edit my book. Okay. Exactly. But you know what? I'm glad I did. And, and you know, I have to say that it really inspired me um, working on your, your projects. And the day when we finished that last book, I just pulled out my computer and I just started plugging away. So... I've been working very hard on this book and I'm just praying. I'm not going to give myself a deadline, but I really need to get this done. I'm just saying I'm not going to be hard on myself. Let's put it that way. I, well, I'm joking. I'm joking. Forgive me. <laughs> so yes, I, I really am looking forward to it. It's been a long time coming for sure. There was a story we can end it with this last story. Okay. I've been recording an audiobook of this third book. There's a chapter on Mac Tony's who was a UFO researcher and author who died in 2009, just shortly after I started the blog. He was my friend. I never met him in person. And that chapter, I just read it aloud. And that's a, it's one of the longer chapters in the book. And it's a very touching, it was very certainly very touching for me to write. And you, it took us three days to edit that chapter back and forth, back and yeah. forth with shared documents. The rhythm we got into was you would edit late at night and I would get up in the morning and take on those edits and make some notes and change things and revise things and send it back to you. And tell us what happened when you finished editing that chapter. Yeah. So I was editing that chapter, as you said, and it was pretty late at night, probably after midnight. And I was sitting upstairs, the windows were open and I remember finishing the last bit, and then what I would do is I would write in the little uh, text box, you know, I wrote, Mac Tony's done. And right at the time that I wrote done, a great horned owl hooted outside my window. And I said, oh, hi, Mac. <laughs> and I thought, oh, my gosh. Mac is approving of this work. I just had this feeling that he was saying hello. So I promptly said, I am not kidding right now. I just heard an owl hooting outside my window. 
I just thought, you know what? Of course it did. <laughs> you you told that, and we told it in the book, and it's told, I think we undertell it a little bit. What do you mean? Well, I mean, what's your sense? Was that was Mac there? Yes I or no? I feel that Mac was there, for sure. And that's that he was here making his presence known. So we have the lore of the owl, which has got two distinct... Well, for me, there's two threads that I'm pulling on, mostly with the owl. There's all... Is UFO contact and death. And so there's the whole chapter in a UFO book about his passing, his death. And he shows up at that moment. Yeah, I, I have long ago given up on dismissing things as coincidence. I agree. I pay more attention now to things like that since I've met you. Well, right on for me. <laughs> and I've pay, I so and I pay more attention to commas since I've met yes. you. So. <laughs> Two J. <laughs> okay. Hey, um, we have reached the end of our time. This has been a wonderful delight to talk for this hour. I agree, Mike. It was really great. Thank you so much for having me on. You are very welcome. Thank you so much. This is Mike, and I am chiming in after the editing. Uh, If anyone has listened to this whole interview, it should be pretty obvious that Suzanne and I are good friends. A few things to point out. Uh, One of them is, at one point in the talk, a hypnosis session came up, and and I said, oh, I'm not going to tell the whole story. And I kind of told the whole story, which I really didn't plan on doing, but it just sort of rolled out of me like that. And I had told it a couple weeks ago in a previous episode where I spoke with Will Boucher. This is an important story, and it just kind of rolled out of me. Uh, at some point in the future, I plan on speaking with Yvonne Smith and talking exclusively about this hypnosis session. So spending a full hour on this one session. Uh, Partially that'll be my own therapy, but I also feel it'll be valuable for the listeners. Uh, I also want to point out that I forgot to do the thing that a podcast host is supposed to do, where I say like, and now uh, how do people get a hold of you? And I never said that to Suzanne, so I'll do it now. Suzanne has a blog. It is called Random Alien Brain Droppings. If you search out that name, Random Alien Brain Droppings, you will find it. She has a lot of her experiences archived there, as well as a few years where she was doing her own podcast series. And she has not published much in the last few years. We do talk about uh, the UFO sighting early on in this talk, and those videos are archived on her site. If you've made it this far, thank you so much. Bye now.